Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Hamilton's budget definitely needs to be trimmed, but how will they do it? We get an update on First Ontario Centre Renos. Hamilton's public school board bans signs at public meetings. Hamilton Comic Con returns, as does the Ancaster Fair. And the Ticats look to take a bite out of the Argos. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. As a first step to earn back your trust... I'll be reversing the changes we made and won't make any changes to the green belt in the future. Yeah, I warned you I was going to play the crap out of this today on Good Morning Hamilton. Dougie, 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 reversing course again on the green belt. We'll talk about it on uh, uh, later on in the show. Well, I'll get, uh, I know I was going to have him on. I still will have him on. Peter Gray from McMaster University on the, what the Hamilton Public School Board is doing in terms of public meetings. But i got to ask him about the Greenbelt in this decision. Stay tuned for that later on in the program. Let's shift gears and talk about Hamilton's budget. Because as we know, we all got shocked, to a certain extent, of the current tax increase. If they left it alone, said, all right, here's the budget, 14.2%. Gulp. No one wants to pay that. Long story short, there are some tough decisions to make. Here to talk about it is Mike Zagarek, the General Manager of Finance and Corporate Services with the City of Hamilton, who joins us now on GMH. Mike, good morning. Good morning, Rick. 14.2%. When we're looking at that number, is that to just maintain existing services that we currently have? No, it isn't. Uh, About uh, 25% or 30% of that forecasted increase is related to maintenance, but that's principally driven by inflation, Rick. We have obligations to employees as it relates to collective agreements, cost of living adjustments. We have obligations to contractors. Some of our services are contracted out and those include inflationary adjustments. And we also provide additional funding, for instance, to housing providers, not-for-profit housing providers to offset inflation, such as utility fees. So that's included in that maintenance budget figure. And uh, again, that represents about 30% of the increase. So there are, like anyone's household budget, those hard costs in which you just cannot change. uh, As much as you'd like to try, you cannot alter that dollar figure. So what is the percentage of what we can, uh, in a best case scenario, get down to? What's the lowest we can get to? The challenge, Rick, in terms of... of, uh, estimating projecting the lowest that we can get to is is the fact that the city along with many cities uh, across the country are dealing with a number of increasing increasingly complex challenges such as housing uh, opioid crisis mental health uh, as well as climate change and in order to drive down that 14.2 percent it'll require reduced services and a reduced response to those crises. So so just focusing on housing as an example, uh, in 2023, council approved a 16 million, 30% increase in housing. And then in year, because of the housing crisis, council approved approximately another $24 million in additional investments in housing. So when we look forward to 2024, housing is one of those prominent themes driving the budget increase. 
and housing represents about $33 million of additional investments, or about 25% of the forecasted increase. Mike Segarik is the General Manager of Finance and Corporate Services with the City of Hamilton. Joining us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML as we chat about the 2024 budget and the construction of it. Uh, earlier this week, we ran a poll question. Our audience um, really expects that next year's budget increase uh, at least the majority of, of those who voted, uh, was going to be between 0 and 5%. And the next crop of people said, you know, between 5 and 10. Is getting into the single digits attainable? And if so, how do we get there? Uh, so, so if we use that 5% figure, to, to arrive at a 5% increase would mean uh, approximately $100 million in, in reductions in efficiencies, Rick. And, and so that represents a significant, you know, the tax operating budgets, a billion dollars. And in order to trim a hundred million dollars from the projection, that would require um, a number of potential responses, including dipping into our savings or reserves. And, and that is part of the work that senior leadership team are going to endeavor to look at our savings. And what can we dip into given some of these crises uh, without becoming dependent on dipping into our, our savings. We're looking at debt uh, as it relates to infrastructure. Uh, we were directed to do these measures by the mayor, uh, as well as we're looking at if there are any efficiencies, if there's any redundancies within our programs in order to uh, identify some savings or efficiencies. So those are some of the measures that uh, would be required to to reduce our position and and we are going to look at those and then beyond those measures it would require looking at services and service levels and reducing services and service levels. On the topic of reserves, and we spoke with Mayor Andrea Horvath on the show earlier this week and her idea of potentially going down that route, what would the impact be if in fact the City of Hamilton does dip into reserves and would the same budget pressure still exist next year? Yeah. So the the work that we're going to endeavor is to look at reserves and look where we can dip into those reserves without creating pressures to program services. So we don't want to dip into our savings and uh, as a result have to reduce service levels or services in future years. And uh, as it relates to sustaining that practice, it, it isn't a practice you can sustain, just like a household cannot dip into their savings indefinitely to pay their bills. And we'll look at developing a strategy where we dip into these reserves in the immediate term, next few years, with a strategy to wean ourselves off of those reserves. So, so what will that strategy look at? We know, for instance, in 2025, the provincial government is uploading recycling responsibility. So we know we'll have savings, for instance, in 2025. That's the opportunity to swap out dipping into our savings and applying those efficiencies. Oh, when's the last time we heard uploading as opposed to downloading? That's a, that's a refreshing one. It is. And and downloading is, is one of those themes as, uh, as it relates to our 2024 uh, outlook. Uh, we've had legislative changes as it relates to one of our primary revenue tools, which is development charges. These are fees that we collect as it relates to new development. And we apply these fees towards servicing infrastructure projects as it relates to new development. And uh, through provincial legislation, more homes built faster, we're seeing about uh, 25% of 
the forecast that's tied to development charges, where the provincial government is discounting or eliminating the city's ability to collect these, as well as some old statutory restrictions where we can't collect it. So again, uh, development charges is one of those themes. And the other, what we also highlighted to committee and council this week is uh, both Hamilton Health Sciences and Hamilton or St. Joseph's Healthcare Hamilton have came before the city as it relates to their redevelopment plans. And as hospitals redevelop, the local community is expected to be part of the funding partner. And so we have a placeholder of about $11 million or 1% of that 14.2%. Lots of math going on at City Hall, that is for sure. Mike, we're glad that you're in charge of doing some of that math. Appreciate the time this morning. Best of luck with putting this budget together. Thanks, Rick. Thanks for having me. Mike Zagarek, GM Finance and Corporate Services with the city. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Hey, we've received an update on when renovations at First Ontario Centre are going to be completed. Those five or six Taylor Swift concerts are expected to bring almost half a billion dollars to the Toronto economy. Uh, Our resolve is and the expectation when the facility is up and running and the quality of the acts of the type that OVG can bring in will be brought here. The lift for the community in tax revenue, direct and indirect, uh, and to the businesses that are here and will be attracted to come here will be very, very significant. And the opportunities are endless, according to Lou Fraporti from the Hamilton Urban Precinct Entertainment Group. The president of Hugh is PJ Mercanti, and he joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. PJ, good morning. How are you? Doing great. Thank you, Rick. All right, so the new deadline for renovation completion is October 2025. That's going to be here before you know it, I'm sure. How confident are you that that deadline will be met? Uh, we're extremely confident, Rick, and and the reason why is Hupeg has aligned with the world's best and largest arena developer who has significant expertise in construction and OVG in the past eight years, they've built uh, three arenas and deployed $4 billion in capital, including the world's first carbon neutral arena with the uh, Seattle arena that the Kraken play out of the Climate Pledge Arena. And OVG's construction team just finished up a Baltimore arena renovation that's approximately the same scope as Hamilton's. And they were able to complete that project in 12 months once they started construction and they have a first class construction team and the architects that have been on the file bbb uh they've been on the file for years they've got a great set of drawings and um and and so we feel very confident uh in 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 our collective ability to get the project done for october 2025 and tom pistori obg canada's president when uh he and we delegated to city council this past wednesday he shared that when there are uh you know negotiation uh delays that the more time you spend in design the better construction flows and the less time you'll need to spend in in construction so we feel confident that uh we'll be able to hit the ground running uh the construction team has met with the city uh on a few occasions with regards to the process and and what's next and so we feel very confident we'll be able to meet that target date of october 2025 so is one of the next steps signing an arena lease deal or has that been put to bed so so yeah we're just working through the the completion of those documents it's the you know for uh, all intents and purposes they're in final form just subject to just you know threading through uh, appropriate uh, you know names and dates but but the the agreements uh, are hopeful to be signed imminently 
Uh, and, and, you know, we've worked hard with the city and, and with OVG to make sure that we get this right. It's a generational project. And, and so we wanted to make sure that all of the details were to everybody's satisfaction. And, and there's an adage, uh, that's, that our, you know, our family and a lot of our business associates use that if you want to go fast, go alone, but if you want to go far, go together. And, and we know that by, by aligning with Oakview Group, by aligning with the city and, and world-class partners like the Paletta family and Alinea, like Leuna, First Ontario, Meridian, that will be able to do great things for the community. We know costs have gone up for everyone because of inflation. Is more money dedicated to this project? Is the budget now a different number? And if so, what is it? So as part of our deal with the city uh, in, in aligning with Oakview Group, it was a minimum commitment of $100 million dollars uh, Tom Pistori from OVG sh- did share with council that it will be significantly greater than that. And he had uh, quoted uh, three times that budget is is where it may end up landing. Uh, in the next couple of weeks, uh, Oakview Group and Hugh Pegg are planning on having a press conference at First Ontario Centre. Uh, and and we, we will share with the public more renderings and and all of the specific details with regards to the budget. And we'll also share, uh, you know, visuals of what the future undeveloped concourse is going to look like, what the future premium seats and box boxes and other loge uh, lounges will will look like and and the type of food and beverage activations that fans uh, and consumers will be able to enjoy. So more information will be shared at that time and it'll be a wonderful uh, wonderful uh, opportunity for uh, the media and the public to learn more about the specifics with regards to the renovation. But we're certainly excited and we can't wait to turn the page so that that way we can get to the fun work of actually starting the renovations. We're chatting about renovations at First Ontario Centre with PJ Mercanti, president of the Hamilton Urban Precinct Entertainment Group on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. If the budget is increasing by three times, according to Tom Pistori, does that mean that the design, we've seen some of the renderings in the past, is that going to change dramatically? So they've, not dramatically, but the design in some of the areas has positively evolved uh, in the sense that there's been more more attention to specifics. And one of the things that, uh, that the great architects at BBB have done is uh, to make sure that a lot of uh, purposeful incorporations of of Hamilton history within that facility are part of the new plans. And to give to cite two simple examples, uh, there you know will be some form of a dedication or art display of the famous Gretzky to Lemieux uh, goal in from the nineteen eighty seven Canada Cup. There will be a, a small tribute wall to the original Juno's concert that took place. Uh, within that facility, uh, and so there's more purposeful design with regards to the to the uh, to the renovation. And and one of the other things that uh, that Oakview Group and BBB have been intentional on is making sure that the uh, load in and load out for musical acts uh, is first class and and best in class, and that the you know premium artists that visit the facility aren't just uh, holed up in a, in a sports locker room with pipe and drape, but actually have a proper artist lounge 
uh, where they can, you know, enjoy themselves and relax before a concert, after their shows. And so the the intent on making, on treating live music uh, as if it is an anchor tenant is a key part of the design, while still making sure that we have sports locker rooms for hockey and lacrosse as part of the overall design build out. So we're, we were more intentional on the design schematics on ensuring that mus- live music um, needs are incorporated in the back of house design, as well as ensuring that investments are made in refurbishing locker rooms and dressing rooms. Well, I already can't wait to see the finished product in just over two years from now. PJ, thank you for your time. Good luck with this. Thank you, Rick. PJ Mercanti is the president of the Hamilton Urban Precinct Entertainment Group, renovating First Ontario Centre. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Hamilton Wentworth District School Board has new security measures for public meetings, including a ban on signs. Comes after a meeting earlier this summer that was stopped when members of the public were absolutely enraged and outraged over gender-neutral washrooms. Peter Graef is the professor of political science at McMaster University and joins us on GMH. Peter, good morning. Good morning. I do want to start with the Greenbelts fiasco and what we're seeing from the provincial government, if you don't mind, just a quick commentary of what you are seeing. Well, I guess the strategy of, uh, you know, trying to push forward, uh, you know, despite uh, this kind of scandalous uh, nature of... uh, the misadministration of this file uh, ultimately didn't work. And the, the premier realizing that has decided to take that off the table as I think it was consuming right all the energy of that government. So you know, I think that's a main takeaway. I guess the other is that what happens in Vegas doesn't always stay in Vegas. And you know, in this case, I think that revelation this week probably is what convinced the premier that and maybe the, the feedback he got at the international plowing match when farmers who are a core constituency were voicing their displeasure I think he realized there was, there was really not a way forward without this dogging his government, at least until Christmas. And uh, we're hearing that uh, Premier Ford is going to be shuffling his cabinet again for the second time in 18 days after losing Labour Minister Monty McNaughton, who's quitting provincial politics. But we'll leave that for another day. I do want to focus on what the local public school board is doing. We know that uh, the uh, debate about certain really sensitive topics like gender identity has a lot of people you know, staking their claim on on one side or or the other of the ledger. When it comes to what the public board has decided to do in in banning signs, making people sign in, what do you make of this? Yeah, I mean, obviously it's within their power to do that. Uh, You know, if you go to some city councils in this province, uh, you know, it's even more uh, restrictive in that you can't bring backpacks into a chamber or you'll have your, you know, your purses and bags checked on the way in. Um, so it's not the most, uh, you know, restrictive, but nevertheless, school boards are usually seen as meetings that uh, aren't really deciding things that are going to be very uh, controversial. Uh, you know, and indeed, you know, even in this instance, I think a lot of the the anger is really about provincial level directives rather than things that the uh, the school board could could change if they wanted to. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's within their power to do, but uh, you know, it is an indication of a, of a limitation of the public's ability to, to speak to uh, these school boards. I mean, usually there's not a lot of demand to do that outside of school closure uh, issues, but uh, yeah, it, it does remove a bit of citizen voice in the process in terms of being able to not only you know, watch what's going on, but uh, bring one's views, if only symbolically, through signs uh, into the chamber. I, I think we're going down a, a slippery slope because these trustees were elected by the public, and this it looks like an attempt to try to silence the public, at least in this regard. See, uh, you know, if I find it difficult to swallow. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess if you were going to look at the other uh, another perspective at it is that, you know, there's always some limitation on the public's rights to have their voice heard. They can't, for instance, be talking over the meeting as it's happening. So we, we recognize uh, some constraints on that. You know, there is space uh, outside the, the chamber that's been provided where groups can uh, bring signs and uh, presumably uh, host a, a small, uh, you know, protest or demonstration to make their views known as, a, as a, the, the trustees are going into the chamber. Uh, but yeah, it is a, it is a, a removal of that ability to uh, say those things with signs in the chamber. Although I presume if you've got a t-shirt uh, printing shop in town, uh, you may be seeing whether, <laughs> uh, you know, there's other ways that people will make their voices heard through, you know, uh, coordinating to wear certain colors or uh, doing other things to indicate a show of community support for a particular position. You may have just given some people a great idea. Peter, we'll have to leave it there. Thanks for the time today. You're welcome. Peter Grafe is a professor of political science at McMaster University, offering his thoughts on, well, number one, the Greenbelt and what the Hamilton Wentworth District School Board is doing in terms of their new security measures. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Most of my days, chilling out, maxing, relaxing, shooting some b-ball outside the hood. Oh, this was the show back in the day, wasn't it? 1990. I can't believe it was that long ago. 1990 to 1996, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air was rocking and rolling on your TV. And it seemed like everyone was watching it and everyone was loving all the characters on the show, including, of course, Will Smith, the star of the show as the Fresh Prince. And... Lots of other awesome characters on that show. Hamilton Comic-Con, which, by the way, is celebrating its 10th anniversary at the Canadian Warplane Heritage Museum. Joseph, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you? I'm fantastic. How are you doing these days? So far, so good. Yes. I was doing a little bit of research on your career, and what an illustrious one it has been, which started almost 50 years ago with Antony and Cleopatra in 1974. My gosh, where's the time gone? <laughs> well, actually, it's a little—it's a little longer than that. Is it started it? in 1972 with the Royal Shakespeare Company. Oh wow! Yeah. So, and Antony and Cleopatra was one of the productions. We are uh, we um, Trevor Nunn presented the Roman season, which uh, consisted of uh, Coriolanus, Titus Andronicus. Uh, Julius Caesar and Antony and Cleopatra. Wow, that is amazing. Uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Uh, it, it, is yes, a, it is a show that has lived in the memories of its fans, including myself who watched it back in the day. How would you describe that show? Um, uplifting. Mm -hmm. In a word. <laughs> I, I, it, 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 was the, it was the culmination of the progress of African Americans on television. I mean, it was a a show with a, a family who were decision makers rather than employees. And uh, they had a, a black butler, which was, I suppose, for the first time on American television. And for the, <laughs> the most interesting part of it was that he was, he was black from Britain. <laughs> and, of course, the um, incomparable Will Smith. When you look at the Jeffersons, the Cosby Show, Fresh Prince, they all kind of stand the test of time in terms of breaking down barriers and entertaining uh, the mass crowds. And you mentioned Will Smith. I did not know he was 21 when he started that show. I, I believe so. Uh, maybe a little older, but yes. So everyone must ask you, what was it like to work with him? Yeah. yeah. You have to remember, we were all very young at that time. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're talking about 
30, 33 years ago, 30 something years ago. Um, and we were, we were really a family in that we were all new to American television. And um, we had, we had to stick together and we did. And we, we liked each other's company, which was surprising, I'm told, in, in television at that time. You've done a number of films. You've been in a number of TV shows, including Doctor Who in 1988, The Bold and the Beautiful in 2003 and 04. Do you have a favorite? My favorite? Oh, my God. Um, okay. Uh, my favorite in television and film rather than theater. Um, my favorite so far has been uh, something I did um, in May this year in Bulgaria is the, the, the uh, reimagining of uh, Hellboy. That's that's my favorite. Wow. Uh, you know the old saying, if you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. <laughs> well, that's that's kind of it at the moment. <laughs> I would have I would have never have guessed that. Uh, Joseph, <laughs> Joseph Marcel is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. He's the actor who played Jeffrey on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, a member of the Royal Shakespeare Company. He's been in a number of movies and television shows, and he's going to be one of the star of the show, the Hamilton Comic Con, this weekend at the Canadian Warplane Heritage Museum. What's it like dealing with fans who always want to ask you the questions that I'm asking you time after time after time if, as you do these Comic-Cons? Um, it's, it's, uh, um, I don't do them very often. I've, uh, ha- however, this year I've done, this is my third. Um, y- you know, uh, it's, it's like the theater. Um, uh, the, the audience you have on the day is not the audience that you had yesterday. So you have to deal with everything as though it's freshly prepared, and of course, it's not my it's not not my job to cast judgment on 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 anything that's asked me or said to me. Um, it it has to I have to react as though it were the first time, and so far so good. Yeah. Well, yes. Yeah, so oh, I need to add something to this. I'm I'm also on the on 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 the committee of uh, the, the council of Shakespeare's Globe in uh, in the U in uh, in Great Britain and on the board in the USA. And that's that's been my uh, what what should I say my obsession these past few years. <laughs> that's not a bad one to have. That is for sure, Joseph. Appreciate the time. Best of luck this weekend, and welcome to Hamilton. Thank you very much indeed. So far, it's been uh, the weather's marvelous, um, and everybody's kind, friendly, and uh, interested. That I is- wish you the very best too. That's great to hear. Have a great day. And to you. Goodbye. Jo- Joseph Marcel, the actor who played Jeffrey on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and a bunch of other roles, TV, uh, movies, and in theater as well. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Hey, the Ancaster Fair is back celebrating a remarkable 173 years with another weekend filled with agricultural shows, entertainment, food, fun for all ages. And here to talk about it is Paul Gibbons. Paul is the president of the Ancaster Agricultural Society. Paul, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm great. How are you? I'm fantastic. 173 years of um, amazing things to see and do at the Ancaster Fairgrounds. What's in store for uh, fairgoers this weekend? Well, um... As usual, we've got our midway and we've got our food trucks. We've got our demolition derby every night, which is a big crowd pleaser. Um, this weekend, we have a two-day heavy horse show in the uh, AEC, and that's something you don't want to miss. You don't want to miss the jangle of the harness and the thunder of the hooves. It's going to be a great show. Um, we have our arts and crafts in Merritt Hall. We have the... Um, Education buildings from Old MacDonald's Farm and uh, 
And uh, the list goes on and on. There's something for everyone that's changing every day. Is there something new this year, or are you just going old school because that's what has worked? No, this year, we're, gonna, we're as I said earlier, we're going to have a two-day heavy horse show. Year, for years, we've had a one-day show, but now the, the demand for uh, more, more horses and people wanting to show is getting greater, so we decided to go to a two-day. We have a uh, hitching demonstration every, every day in the AEC. So people can come and watch and see how the heavy horses are harnessed and hitched to the wagon. Is that show. is that one of the highlights? It's a highlight for the agricultural event center for sure. Um, on the on the main stage, we've got some great Canadian talent this year. Every night, there's somebody different. And uh, for the people that like uh, old iron, we have Heritage Square with all the antique tractors and equipment. And uh, we have the concession building with the, the vendors that are in there with things for sale. We have demonstrations and educational things every day. Ancaster Fair continues today, opens at 9 a.m., uh, closes up shop at 9 p.m. both today and tomorrow, and on Sunday runs from 10 until 5 at the Ancaster Fairgrounds. We're in discussion with the president of the Ancaster Agricultural Society, Paul Gibbons. What is it like putting this fair on with all the different elements that are going on when it comes to, you know, you got live animals, you have live entertainment, you have, you know, food coming in, all, all uh, you know, the midway. Th- this is a big project. It, it sure is, but once again, it's not our first rodeo, and we have great volunteers. If, to put things in perspective, we've been putting the fair on since 1850, before Confederation, and uh, while 173 years is a long time, it's not a big number in our world, but what is a big number is the thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of volunteer hours over the years that help put the fair on, and it's a well-oiled machine by now. Yeah, and if it ain't broke, don't break it, right? All the details online at ancasterfair.ca. You mentioned the demolition derby that is taking place. You know, for, for people who have not seen this, it is a spectacle. It, 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 you had it last night, uh, again today, and again tomorrow night. When you're choosing a demolition derby winner from a fan perspective, are you looking for the car that is the least damaged going in or something that has some bumps and bruises, so to speak? It's usually, uh, in most heats, it's last man standing. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. You know, there's lots of action, lots of crashing and banging. I'm going to be at the Ancaster Fair tomorrow morning, in fact, because I am a celebrity, quote-unquote, judge of the baby contest. Paul, I've never done this before. Any tips that you can share with me? That's a tough one. I know. Good luck with that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to give them all 10 out of 10. Is that possible? That's right. right. (laughs) Paul, is there anything else we should know about the Ancaster Fair this weekend? Well, we're going to have great weather. And, you know, for $13, where can you get this kind of entertainment? Yeah, absolutely. Best bang for your buck going. Absolutely. Get uh, your tickets online, ancasterfair.ca. It's going to be a phenomenal weekend, as Paul mentioned, weather-wise. Highs about 20, sun, some cloud, perfect weather to enjoy the Ancaster Fair. Paul, thanks for the time today. Good luck this weekend. 
Thank you for having me. Paul Gibbons is the president of the Ancaster Agricultural Society. Ancaster Fair is underway, kicked off yesterday, runs until Sunday. All the details again at ancasterfair.ca. 9 to 9 today and tomorrow 10 to 5 on Sunday. It is a great time. And yes, I am going to have difficulty tomorrow (laughs) judging these babies, which I'm sure are going to be all cute. And if there's one that isn't, I'm still going to give it a 10 out of 10. (laughs) You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Let's talk a little football. Ticats, Argos, tomorrow night our pregame show begins at 6. Kickoff is at 7, 30 minutes after the game ends. It's the fifth quarter brought to you by Eastgate Ford as the Cats and Argos duke it out at BMO Field. Here to break it all down is Coach Sal, John Salavanis, an analyst with the Ticats Audio Network and a former offensive line coach with the Cats. Sal, good morning. How are you? I'm well, Rick. How are you doing? I'm fantastic, and I I think the Cats are fantastic as well because I'm going to make the proclamation that this team is playing its best football right now. Would you agree? I I certainly do agree. You know, and the reason I agree with you is, you know, as Butler, the running back, goes, so goes the offense. You know, with uh, when he can run the ball, uh, the offense clicks, and when the offense clicks, of course, the defense is in a much better position to play. So. I agree that uh, things are on an upswing. Have you noticed, because I've noticed that since Scott Milanovic has taken over calling the offensive plays, we haven't seen a lot of trickery, but we've seen a lot more, not only consistency, but execution as well. Have you noticed a flip of the script? Yes. Uh, what's happened, basically, is he's gone back to basic football, and, and that is to run the ball to set up the passing game. And if you watch Powell... Powell is getting much better each game, each outing, because of the way uh, Milanovic is making the play calls. As you said, we saw one end around in the last game to uh, Tim White. It gained 51 yards, but that's not a trick play as much as it is part of his offense. You know, it's, it's moving ahead with some of the play action that he does, and the play action comes because he's willing to run the ball. And, and you saw Butler in the last game. There was several times he got stopped right at the line of scrimmage, but they persevered. They stayed with it. He ended up with 22 carries, 82 yards, and that set up the offense. Talking about Ticats Argos tomorrow night at BMO Field. You can hear the game live on 900 CHML, courtesy of the Ticats Audio Network. Kickoff is at 7. Pre-game begins at 6. And the fifth quarter, brought to you by Eastgate Ford, follows the game. Taylor Powell, my gosh, what more can we say about this rookie quarterback who has come in under extremely difficult circumstances with QB1 and QB2 down and Bo Levi Mitchell and Matt Schultz. Powell has been impressive more often than not in the last couple of games, for sure. He has been, and again, it goes back to the play call situation. He's not having to throw the ball down the field uh, 8, 10, 12 times a game. He's able to throw the intermediate routes, the 18 and under type routes. Uh, the nine-yard nine route gets you in a position to put you uh, uh, into a first down situation, convert your second down with the run. So as long as he can continue to make those throws, the intermediate throws, as I say, uh, the 18 yards and under type throws, and be successful with them, Uh, He doesn't have to throw the ball 42 times in a game. 26, 27 times is a good number for him to make those throws, and he's going to end up with around 300 yards each time. 
Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Coach Sal, John Salavanis, an analyst with the Ticats Audio Network. I know you subscribe to the Stats Are Made for Liars contingent. Toronto is 6-0 at home. Cats have lost five straight against the Argos. Hamilton has not won at BMO Field since 2019. Do any of those numbers matter? Uh, we're playing rope-a-dope with them. Uh, we're going to end up uh, winning the key ball game, and that starts tomorrow night, you know, Three games, uh, Rick, this year, the Cats have been outscored 105 to 57 by Toronto. Uh, it's time to flip the switch on that one. And it begins with the first quarter. I mean, we look at the Labor Day Classic. Toronto was up 17 nothing after the first quarter. The Cats tomorrow night have to have a good first quarter. They do. And they've been able to uh, accomplish that in the last couple of games against a very tough uh, Winnipeg defense. They were able to put some points on the board. It's so imperative that you don't get off to a bad start, uh, especially when you're playing away from home. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if the Cats can uh, make the Argos try to come back. Sal, we'll have to leave it there. Appreciate your time. Enjoy the game tomorrow. I will, and Rick, thanks so much for calling. You got it. Coach Sal, John Salavanis, analyst with the Ticats Audio Network, former offensive line coach with the Black and Gold. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening, and don't Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.